All right, if you got a Bible, we're in Ephesians chapter two. And the reason is, is because it comes after chapter one. That's how these things work, right? But if you know anything, and I've mentioned this many, many times, if you know anything about the Bible, the chapter and verse divisions weren't, weren't there originally. They came about in about the ninth century as a way to just help us kind of work our way through it as a way to understand. And so this uh, Ephesians was a letter. It was written as a letter. And, and how you read letters is from beginning to end. I know we don't give letters anymore, anymore, right? Uh, because we have all other kind of alternate forms of communication. But this was a letter. And the reason why it was a letter is Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus to particularly deal with a few issues that were going on. And I'll hit that in just a second. But what he does in the first three chapters is he explains God's work. He explains what God is doing in the world and how all of us are a result of God's working. And so those are the indicatives I've told you in the first three chapters. It's about what God has done. And then chapters four through six is about what we are to do. Those are the imperatives or the commands. And so we're still in this first part. And what you're gonna see here in verse one, and this will make more sense when it's a letter, it actually starts with the word and. It starts with a conjunction, which I wish I would have known this back when I was in particularly middle school, when my English teachers told me you can't start sentences with a conjunction. I'm like, I'm just trying to be biblical, y'all. And so when you start chapter two with the word and, obviously it's connecting back to what he said. And so here's what Paul's going to do. Here's, here's kind of the flow with which he has been operating. Now he's just going to continue to unpack what he said in the intro how we are saved, how we are made alive. Now he's going to give us kind of more handles and what we're gonna to do today, primarily the first three verses, all right? Primarily the first three verses where we're gonna spend the majority of our time. I'll hit verse four, five, and six, but we're gonna come back to that next time because as you'll see, they're way too glorious for me to just kind of end it on. So we need a whole message on those as well. So let's go verses one and two in Ephesians chapter two, and we'll start, uh, stop and chat about it. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Now, we gotta chat about that. That's a lot, right? Now, a couple things. One, and we'll come back to this uh, today and in the rest of chapter two. When he says here, you. Now, most times when I make points on the screens, I don't like just saying you because I, I don't want it to come across as like, you're this way, but I'm not this way. Like, I don't want to be the guy up here like just yelling things at you, acting like you're all good and I'm all, uh, or you're all bad, I'm all good, Right? So I like to use the term we because it kind of levels the playing field. And Paul's gonna get to that, but what he does here in verse uh, one of chapter two when he says you, in fact, he did this in chapter one as well. I just didn't touch on it much because I knew we would get to this in chapter two. But he's gonna use the word you and then he's gonna say we. And that's significant because the you that he's referring to there is contextually the Gentiles. We know this because in verse 11 of chapter two, he's gonna say, and you Gentiles. So he's going to show here 
this first two verses, the state of the Gentiles. But then in verse three, he's gonna say, we, which he's going to include in it, the Jewish people. And the reason why Paul does this is one of the biggest issues in the church of Ephesus because of where it was located. I've told you this before. It's on the modern day Turkey on the west coast of it, right there on the sea. It was a city mostly made up of Gentiles. It was not a Jewish area. But they were struggling with Jewish people and Gentile people living together. Now, I know that's a foreign thought to that because we've never had this happen, right? We've never wrestled with different ethnicities trying to live together. Speaking of Jewish people now, I mean, it's modern day, right? What's going on right now between the Jewish people and the Palestinian people fighting now, and again, I don't know your you know, political stance, but I hope we all can at least say terrorism is a horrible atrocity. And what's been going on in Israel this last week is incredibly horrific. Now, particularly, obviously, we support the nation of Israel because of God's de designation of them as the chosen people of God. Our whole salvation comes, I've said this many times, from the Jewish people. Jesus himself was Jewish. Paul was Jewish. But even back then, there was these tensions, these tensions of people trying to live together because the Jewish people hated the Gentiles. Gentiles hated the Jewish people. And so Paul, in trying to build a church, is having a, an issue in his church of these different ethnicities trying to live together. But one of the main things that Paul is going to do in the first three chapters is try to show this. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or you're Gentile, you're dead. You're a sinner. Let me say it like this. At the foot of the cross, we're all equal. No one has a leg up on the other group. So when he says this, you, he's talking specifically about the Gentiles, which if you're not Jewish here today, this would be you. This would be us. The word Gentile just means non-Jewish, everybody else. And so when Paul says this, you were dead, he's trying to help the Gentile people understand their situation. And here's the best way to understand it. They weren't just bad. They were dead. That's a whole different way to live and think about yourself. Now, obviously, contextually, he's not saying they were physically dead. He's referencing they were spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. And this word here, dead, even though it's used elsewhere to reference physical death, Paul is trying to show something here. And the thing he's trying to show is not that you were just bad, you know, and this is how we tend to think you're good or you're bad. You're not just bad. No, you're dead. And the reason why this is so helpful is because when you're trying to get two different groups to work together, you have to help them understand categorically that they're thinking about it wrong. What I mean is this. Every single one of us in this room, more than likely, if I asked you, who the bad people were, you wouldn't say yourself. You wouldn't say your group. You would say that other group. And that's what I say all the time. You know, those people. 
Anytime someone uses that category of those people or them, watch out. You know. No, I don't know. Would you help me? Those people, them. Because categorically, what we think is good or bad. And what Paul's saying is categorically, you're thinking wrong. It's dead and alive. And he's going to give descriptors here of what it means to be dead. And I'll explain it. He says, first, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. You're dead in them. You're dead in them. You're dead because of them. And this idea of trespasses, I think you understand that, right? Like the word trespass, we, we see them, you know, we see signs that say no trespassing. And the idea of, in, in fact, if you own land, you have to have trespassing signs so that people will know, okay, they've just moved over a boundary. So you gotta put up trespassing signs in order to you know, reasonably show people this area is off limits to you. Now this word here, trespass, I like, and I say this all the time, we use the ESV translation, this word means what it means and this is a fine translation of the word, but there's other translations that use the word transgress. I actually like that word better because A, I think it helps us understand something in this sense that it's not just a trespass, it's a transgression. Now the word transgression is made up of two words, the first one being trans, which if you are alive today, you've heard this word a lot, specifically referring to transgender. But the idea of trans means to, it means the word means beyond. And then the word grass means to step. So to transgress, watch this, means to step beyond. To step beyond. So if someone's transgender, they've stepped beyond the boundaries of gender. But the concept of transgression is bigger than that. It's the idea that you've stepped beyond a boundary. You've stepped beyond a boundary. Now, let's talk about boundaries. This boundary that we've stepped beyond, that we've transgressed, is the law of God. That's what we've stepped beyond. Now, one of my, and I say this often, one of my pet peeves is when, particularly when I was used to talk to teenagers, the thought that God is this God of rules. God's just made a bunch of rules and he doesn't want us to have any fun. I'm like, hold on, hold on. Let's look back at the very beginning. I've used this argument many times. If you've been around, this is not gonna be new to you. If you look in the beginning, God only gave two commands. One was awesome. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, I don't have to get into that, all right? But I just picture God saying that like in a very white voice, right? <laughs> Be fruitful, multiply. The second one was, don't touch this tree. Don't touch this tree. Those were the two commands. Be fruitful and multiply, don't touch the tree. One, do this. One, don't do this. That was the rules. And you look at that and you think, why in the world did God tell them to not touch this tree? Now, the Bible calls it the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil, and there's all kinds of reasons behind that. But here's what you need to understand. At the end of the day, it wasn't about the tree. It was about trust. It wasn't about the tree. It was about trust. And here's what I mean by that. Adam and Eve had to trust that God's boundaries were best. That God's boundaries were best. 
But what happens when someone tells you not to do something? In your heart, that's what you want to do. And this is what I don't understand. Like if I could go back in time and talk to Adam and Eve, specifically Adam, I would have been like, bro, what was it about that tree? You had every other tree on the planet and you had a naked woman. What's your deal? Like you're thinking I want that tree? What? You got every other tree and you got Eve, bro. This is the one whom when she came walking in, you were like, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, finally something other than an animal, right? Like this was the woman, which still today, I don't get. Men, work and get you a godly woman. That is the rules, right? That's, that is, that is and, and women, do not, do not marry a man that ain't willing to work. That's not willing to trust God. So when we hear this, like God's a God of rules, he made all these boundaries, I want you to understand something. The boundaries are only there because you broke them. But I want you to think about the word boundaries. The word boundaries just means here's how it's laid out. Now, I thought about this the other day. If you live within those boundaries, you can have flourishing and freedom. If you step beyond those boundaries, here's what's crazy. Now you're going to be bound. Think about it. The word boundary in it has the word bound. So you can live within the boundaries, have freedom. You can step beyond them and you'll be bound, which means you have slavery. You are now slave to sin. So here's what's crazy. You can choose boundaries or being bound. But people always think that if they step beyond God, they'll actually have freedom which you'll actually get the exact opposite. You'll have slavery. Why? Because things only work the way they were designed to work. Let me give you an example. Your car, most cars, were designed to run on gasoline. That's what they're designed to run on. The way the combustion works inside the engine, gas is what they run on. Now, what if you were like, I don't want to put gas in my car. I want to put Kool-Aid in my car. Someone would say, well, you can put Kool-Aid in your car, but it ain't going to give you freedom. In fact, what's going to happen is it's going to seize up and lock and be bound. And you aren't going to be able to go. You're going to walk. Well, I want to put Kool-Aid in my car. Okay. Now, I know that's a childish example, right? But listen to me. It's equally as childish to say something like this. I don't think sex is meant for man and woman in the context of marriage. I want my own way. Well, that's what God said. Man, woman, in marriage, that is the sexual relationship. Well, I don't want that. I'm gonna step beyond that. That's equally as childish. Why? Because your sexual relationships were made to run in the boundaries of marriage. That's how it was designed. But if you transgress that, you step beyond that, it's not going to run well. So what Paul is trying to say here is, in our deadness, this is what we do. We step beyond and when we step beyond a boundary, that's a sin. 
Now, how does that happen? Look at this. He says, following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. Twice he uses the word following. Now, this word here, following, is literally the same word from chapter one, according to. Kata in Greek. It's the preposition of reference. Now, in chapter one, we looked at how we are to live according to, or we're saved, sorry, we're saved according to the grace of God and according to the purpose of God. There was a whole message, I think it was week three, entitled According To. So that's how we're saved. Now, the opposite of that is this according to, two other according to's that correspond with that. The reason why we had to be saved according to grace, according to purpose, is because we were living according to the world, according to Satan. It's a reference point. Now, I want you to see this. He says, according to the course, that word there, course, means aeon. It's the idea of a period of time. Interestingly enough, the Greeks would have understood that as the God of time. Like, you know, Greeks had all kinds of gods. And so this word aeon means the God of time philosophically, but then we just kind of use it as like an era. The best way to think about it is culture. Now, what do I mean when I say the word culture? Well, here's a definition. I have it here on the screen. The word culture is society's attitudes, habits, preferences, and ways of living built up by a group of human beings and transmitted. Interesting word, transmitted. It means to sin beyond one generation to another. So when I say the word culture, again, or course of this world, here's how you think about it. It's the attitudes, the habits, the preferences, and the ways of living, watch this, that are normal to us. Now, every aeon or season of time or people group have their own norms, right? How we live. And how we live here today in 21st century America is different than how even in the 21st century in sub-Saharan Africa, a culture lives. So the attitudes, the habits, the preferences, the way of life are different by group, right? Make sense? Also, not only is it different by ethnicities or groups, it's also different with the same group over time. Think about it like this. What is normal today in our society, 50 years ago in this same society was not normal. If you were alive 50 years ago and you had a TV, back then on TV, they wouldn't even show a married couple in the same bed together. They would have twin beds because they thought it was too risque to even show that. Is that still the same today? No, <laughs> right? Why? Because culture changes, because people change. Seasons change. I think there's songs about that, all right? But here's what I want you to see. What Paul is saying is, in your deadness, in our deadness, our reference point for how we live is culture, not the word of God. And I hear this argument, oh, this is the 21st century. And, and, the, and the idea is, oh, this is, I know it wasn't accepted then, but it's accepted now. Yeah, but if it's rejected here, it's never to be accepted. Because, I want you to hear me. When you live according to 
the ways of this world, the actions, the attitudes, the habits, the preferences, you're actually a part of something you didn't even realize. That word culture, think about it. What's the root word of that word? Cult. So if you and I live according to culture, we're a part of a cult and we didn't even know it. You feel me? What's a cult? A cult is a religious system that prescribes attitudes and actions, almost always venerates some kind of leader or thought, right? I mean, I'm from Texas. Do you guys know that? Waco, Texas used to almost always be known because of what happened there by a cult leader in this area. David Koresh, you can go watch those documentaries. Now it's known for Chip and Joe and the Gaines, thank the Lord, all right? We've kind of shifted that narrative a little bit. I move here and people are like, have you ever been to Waco? I'm like, yeah, I drove through it. Don't nobody stay. Like, you know, it's right on 30, no, you don't stay there. Oh, I just want to go to Waco. Why? <laughs> I mean, I know Baylor's there, but still, you know, it's just kind of funny. But if we live with the culture as our reference, we're in a cult. And that cult, watch this, there's a second following, second according to, the prince of the power of the air. And then he tells you who that is, the spirit that is at work, that now is at work in the sons of disobedience. That's referring to the devil. So culture, cult is according to a different spirit. Now, when it says the prince of the power of the air, the idea was, you know, earth is here, heaven is here. And in between that, you have the air. And so it's kind of like the lower regions of heaven or the spiritual realm. And so when it was referring to Satan as the prince of the power of this, what he's saying is in the spiritual realm, in the lower parts of the spiritual realm, the devil is in control. And so culture is empowered and controlled by not the spirit of God, but the spirit of God of the Antichrist, the devil. And this is what makes this extremely important to understand. If you're living according to your reference point is the world, then you are worshiping a different spirit. You're dead. Because you transgressed. Why? Because you lived according to another word, and according to another spirit. Well, that's a pretty, pretty serious situation. Now, here's why I wanna stress this. Because depending upon your background, you may have grown up with these categories of good and bad instead of dead and alive. And you may have been wrestling in your life like, well, what did God really save me from? I mean, I was pretty good. And, and here, especially where I grew up in East Texas, and then once I started going to church, it was like, well, you know, I'm not like those people who do drugs. That's our reference point, as if that's bad. And I'm not saying it's good. But I'm about to give you probably the weirdest point I've ever given here at our church. And I gotta provide context. Let me give it to you, and then I'll say it. It doesn't matter if you weren't on drugs. You were dead. That's pretty weird, right? 
It doesn't matter if you weren't on drugs, bad, because you were dead. Here's what you need to know. Even if you were a good person, you were still a dead person. And your testimony, listen, your testimony does not have to include drugs. Especially children and teenagers that grow up in church, please don't go out and try to beef up your story and try to make it more bad, right? Try to go out there and do something like really sinful so that God would have you know, something to save you from and now you've got a testimony to the power of God. Listen, the testimony to the power of God is not you were bad and he made you good, it's that you were dead and he made you alive. Because dead people, that's fine, you can clap, all right, all right. we'll get into it, it's all good. You may have, well, I didn't do drugs, well, I didn't sleep around, well, I got married, and this is you are, well, I mean, I did steal some bubble gum one time, and I cussed in my mind a lot. <laughs> right? That's how we think. No. Doesn't matter what you did or didn't do. What mattered is the state you were in. You were dead. Now, Paul's gonna continue to flesh this out, and now he's gonna use the word we. Look at verse three. Among whom we all. Now he's including Jews into this because it's right at that point, the Jewish people will be like, you tell them, Paul, them Gentiles, they were dead. They were following Satan. And then Paul's like, among whom we all. Row, row, Scooby. What? We all? Yeah. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That word their passions, the Greek word epithumia, it means lusts. It's an over-desire. See, here's our problem. This is why you can't think in terms of bad or good. The problem is not what you did, it's what you desire. This is how Jesus ups it. Jesus is like, the law says if you commit adultery, I say if you desire in your heart. Oh, so Jesus goes to desires, not just doing. And this is what Paul is picking up on here. See. You were dead. You once lived this way in the passions, in the desires, in the lusts of our flesh. Then he goes on, carrying out the desires. That word their desires means will. It's the same idea when we talk about free will. And I've said this as we walk through chapter one. You and I have free will. The sovereignty of God does not cancel out free will of man. Here's what happens you have free will, you freely choose, but you will only freely choose what you desire most, which is not God. So you freely choose it and you carry out the will, watch this, of the body and the mind. And then he goes a step further. And we're by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. See, that would have been much harder for a Jewish person to understand than a Gentile I'm not the child of wrath. I'm the child of Abraham. You know, Father Abraham and many sons. I am one of them, right? This is why the Jewish people wanted to stone Jesus in John 8 when he was talking to them and they say, Abraham's our father. He's like, no, 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 Abraham's not your father. The devil's your father. That's kind of shocking. See, here's what Paul's laboring to say. Jew and Gentile alike are in the same boat. 
Because he says here, you were by nature. Now, I've referenced this a lot, but psychology and other disciplines like that study whether or not we are who we are by nature or nurture, which the answer to that is yes. It's, in, it's ingrained, it's who we are, and we also know environment shapes us. But this word nature, it's interesting. It's the Greek word physis. It's where we get our English word physics or physical or physique, right? It's referring to, and if you study physics, I love physics in, the, in high school, in the high school. Oh, I'm getting old. I'm putting a V in front of things that they don't either. You know, like, um, and, I, and I loved it because it's a study of matter and motion and nature. Um, and this idea, it's interesting. We still use this in, and I say we, not because I'm a part of this community, just because I'm a part of humanity. We still use this in scientific world today. In fact, this word physis literally refers to parts of our bones, like in our growth plates. It's interesting. And here's what Paul's saying. It's in your bones to sin. It's in your bones. The growth plate, and those of you who know anything about science, you know your growth plate stays open till typically you're in your 20s. And we know now that after the age of 25, you stop growing. So I've said this before, over the hill is not 40, it's 25. Welcome to church. So after 25, you're dying. And what Paul's saying is, it's in your bones. It's in your nature. We, we took this word, physis, into Latin, and, and we brought it into English. And so literally, it's, it's the word natural. It's natural for us to transgress. It's natural. And because of that, watch this, we are children of wrath. We are not children of God. Watch this, by nature, by natural means. We're not children of God. And this is why we have to be very careful when we refer to like, you know, humanity. It's like, oh, we're all the children of God. No, we're not. Now, let me be clear. We are all made in the image of God. Yes, 100%. And every ethnicity, every person on the planet has inherent dignity and worth because they were created in the image of God. And we should treat them that way, no matter what the ethnicity. But being made in the image of God and being a child of God are two different things. We are made in the image of God but we transgressed, so we destroyed that image, and therefore, when we destroyed it, we became children of wrath. Because we were dead, and in our deadness, our desires were to transgress, and then that's what we do, naturally. Now, it's right at this point that if I were the end of this, to end the sermon, you would be like, there go. I knew I should have stayed home. That's reality. And the reason why it's important to start there is you will not understand the good news if you don't first understand the bad. And also, watch this, if you don't understand that you and the person you hate are both children of wrath 
and you're saved by grace, that even after you're saved, you'll still continue to look down on them. But at the foot of the cross, I told you it's all equal. And so if there is an, even an inch of arrogance that causes you to look down, you have not rightly understood the gospel. Because God didn't save you because you were good. You were dead. But now let's get to verse four. And again, I'm just gonna hit it with a cursory and we'll come back to it. Best two words in the Bible. Verse four, but God. But God. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God. What did God do? Look at this. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Verse five, even when, even when, maybe the next best two, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. See, you were still dead. Even when you were dead, God did something. And what did he do? Made us alive. He made us alive together with Christ. Watch this. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, here's the gospel, my friends. The gospel is you weren't bad and God made you good. It's that you were dead. And if he left you there, you would stay dead and you would stay in your desires, living according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. But God said, I don't wanna leave you there because he's rich in mercy and because of the great love with which he loved us, made you alive. He made you alive. He opened your eyes. You were able to see. You responded in faith and you were saved. And this is what we have to understand. It's by grace that we have been saved. And none of us deserved it. None of us. Because we were dead. And I've said this before. Dead people, spiritually speaking, they can't do anything to make themselves alive. Because you're dead. By nature, you were children of wrath. But God, being rich in his mercy and with the great love with which he loved us, said, I will have mercy on you and make you alive. See, he is, this is why this is so important, and we're almost done. If that's true, and it is, how does that make you see someone that you think is bad or another group? See, we'll get into this in verses 11 and following where Paul says, in this one man, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. Why? Because we're all in the same boat. See, the gospel is good news, not simply because it gets you to God, not simply because it made you dead and alive. But Paul says later on, he says, because God wanted to create one new people, one new people out of every tribe, tongue, and nation, Jewish and Gentile alike, God is raising people from the dead and he's bringing them together as one family. And this family is all united by the same thing. I was dead, but now I'm alive. And this is how we have to see each other, not black, not white, not Democrat, not Republican, not American, not something else. We have to understand that if we are in Christ, we are one in Christ because of God, and so is my brother and sister, so there's no room in my heart to hate someone that God made alive. 
And this is why this is so important because we're seeing images on the news between Israel and Hamas. And we're like, what is the solution? Listen, it's not a political one. I'm not saying Israel shouldn't defend themselves. They should. They have every right to. Any nation that's attacked has a right to do that. What I'm saying is this. The only thing that is going to bring hostile groups together is Christ. Because only in Christ can we be made alive and made into a family. So the last point is this. We were dead, but God made us alive. We were dead, but God made us alive. The reason why it is so important to understand how we were saved, it's by grace. Because if it's by grace, I have nothing to boast about but God. But God, see, because I wasn't bad, I was dead. I know I wasn't on drugs, but I was dead. I was living according to the cult of this world, but now I live according to, in reference to this word. And this is why I say all the time, children of God, listen to the words of God. You see how in verse two, Paul said the spirit that's at work in today, right now, in the sons of disobedience. See, the spirit of this world will try to get you not to live in reference to this but in reference to what's always changing. And listen, I know. I know that in the 21st century, this is ancient and outdated, but here's what I know. This one will last and culture won't. So I'd rather build my life on what's not changing and trust God. See, it's not about the tree. It's about trust. So if you're here today and God is moving in you and you're starting to see his commandments were always good, but we transgressed them. We went across the boundary and now we're bound. Now we're slaves. Now we're dead. But God can make you alive. And maybe you're here today and you've already had that happen. You've already experienced the grace of God making you alive. I want you to understand something. I don't care what culture tells you. Live your life according to this. These are the boundaries. This is the way it was designed to work. It's amazing all these studies that are coming out now that understand the effect on children and marriage and happiness. The most happy people is a man and woman who live together in marriage and the covenant of sex is in that marriage. They have kids and they go to church. Isn't that interesting? Listen, it's because this truth is timeless. The lies of the culture are just that. They're lies of a cult. So don't transgress. Trust God. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Out of your word, we were created. And still, out of your word, we have life and happiness and joy. But God, we know that we transgressed your word. We stepped beyond the boundaries. And sin entered and death entered. And now we're all dead. 
living according to the ways of this world and according to the spirit of the devil. But thank you, God. But God, you came in and in Christ, you put on flesh and dwelt among us so that you could take the punishment in flesh to give us a new heart with new desires. You made us alive in Christ. But God, I know there are people here today that have not had this moment where they trusted you and have been saved. And I know right now, God, your grace is moving and it's opening people's eyes to see and now they can respond in faith and be saved. And so God, I pray right now for them. No one looking around or talking here as we close. If that's you, today for the first time you realize that you weren't good or bad, you were dead. And you transgressed. And you don't wanna be a child of wrath anymore. You wanna be a child of God. Then you can, in faith, pray and trust Jesus. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer. And you don't have to pray this out loud, but this is just Romans 10, 9, and 10. You're confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and you'll be saved. So if that's you, you can pray with me. It goes like this. Say, Father, thank you for loving me, that you sent Jesus in flesh to die in my place and he rose again, beating death. And since he beat death, he can now give me life. So I pray that you'll make me alive. In faith, I'm trusting Jesus for my sins. Forgive me. I confess. Thank you for loving me. Now by grace, I'll live for you. Again, nobody looking around or talking in both of our locations. If you just pray to trust Jesus, would you simply lift your hand up? We got men and women that are here gonna walk around, put a Bible in your hand with some next steps. Thank you. But then those of you that are in Christ, I hope that you are reminded today. You're not in Christ because you were better. You're only in Christ because you were dead and God made you alive. So what that means is you're saved by grace and now you are to extend that grace. You're to live graciously towards those that are different than you. Particularly in our world that is so divided. In Christ, that dividing wall of hostility is broken down. So it's high time that the church becomes the place where people can get along, where we're unified because we were all in the same place. But now because of Christ, we're in a different place. So I'm praying for our church as we continue to walk through the book of Ephesians that we would understand that we are one in Christ with brothers and sisters that don't look anything like us. Whoever that us is, Jew and Gentile, man and woman, we are now in Christ, one family. 
God, I pray, not only does the world need Jesus, the world needs unity, but it will never come without Jesus. And so God, I pray that our church, all churches around the globe would be a city on a hill, shining a light, saying, only in Christ can you get what you want, which is this hostility to be broken down because we're all sinners and we're all saved by grace. God, I pray that you would grant this, not only that you would make people alive, but you would make us live in light of the fact that we were all dead, but you made us alive. So therefore we can love our neighbor as ourselves, because they were us and we were them. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Love you, church.